It's good to see everyone this morning. Let's, um, I think we're sitting close today. That's great. Appreciate that. As close as it gets in a PCA church, I guess, at least. Presbyterian church. All right, let's pray. Um, Father, we're grateful for uh, this day. We're thankful for your kindness to us um, in all ways, but especially in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, and his death and resurrection, um, and his ascension to your right hand, and in our um, now uh, present uh, communion with him. Father, we pray this morning that as we prepare again um, for our worship on the Lord's Day, as you gather us together to yourself, that you would um, be with us as we um, think about the words of John Calvin and the topic of baptism, this gift that you've given us in Christ um, to be certain of our salvation and of your love. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, so this uh, winter, we have been doing an extended study of the Institutes of John Calvin. Um, we are making progress um, through it, and we are approaching even the end of the Institutes. Um, this is, again, the sort of outline that we've been working through um, for the last uh, 10 weeks or so. Um, we started with the knowledge of God, the Creator, uh, moved into the knowledge of God, the Redeemer in Christ, um, that um, God gives us to overcome our sin and the, um, the blindness that we have in terms of our knowledge of God. Um, then in book three, we looked at the way in which we receive Christ, um, the benefits that come to us from His grace and what effects um, follow from it. Um, there we looked at things like faith and the Christian life, justification and union with Christ, the topic of Christian prayer and election. And now here, um, we are in book four. This is the last book that Calvin um, has in his institutes. And here, um, you can see the way that Calvin has progressively moved through um, redemption starting with our, our, our being made for God, then addressing the, the issue of sin and, and how that chasm is bridged by the person and work of Christ. And now, finally, he comes um, to the means by which we are held in the communion that we have achieved with God through Jesus. The external means or aims, Calvin says, by which God invites us into the society of Christ and holds us therein. I mean, you can even, I love the way that Calvin, that, that title was phrased because it's, clear that for Calvin, our salvation um, is always centered on union with Christ. Union with Christ is always um, what, um, what brings us into communion with God. And the sacraments are given to us as means um, to deepen and seal even that union with Jesus. Um, so last week we began this book by looking at the church, what Calvin had to say about the church, his very high view of the visible church and its significance for us um, as believers. Um, and today we move into um, the topic of baptism. The topic of baptism. Um, so a few things about baptism before we jump in. I think baptism can be one of those things as believers um, that we may not think a whole lot about. And part of that is just practical. Um, every week we hear um, the Word of God preached to us uh, and receive it. Um, every day uh, we pray and study the Scriptures um, every week, if you're in a church like ours at least, you're taking the Lord's Supper again and again. Um, but you're only baptized once, at least ideally. Right? I know that some of us may have been baptized more than once. But, but baptism is something that happens to us once. And for many of us even, if we are baptized as children, it may be something we don't even have a recollection of. Right? We don't remember it. Um, it's something that is, that is not even something we can consciously recall. 
And so the question arises, then what good is baptism? Yes, we, we know that it's something that is commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. It is something we should do as the church. But for me, as a believer, as a Christian today, what difference does it make, my baptism? And that's something that Calvin is really going to wrestle with and try to deal with us, and I think in a really helpful pastoral way. And he's going to argue that our baptisms are actually something that we should be regularly calling to mind. Um, baptism is not a means of grace that happens once in our life, and its, and its value and efficacy is sort of limited to that moment. It's something rather that continues. Um, in some ways, it becomes one of the defining features of who we are, right? Uh, my name is Josh Anderson. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I am a baptized man. And that is one of the things that is deeply um, true for me, even in some ways deeper than those other things, even deeper than being a husband or a father, certainly far more deeper than being an American or being, you know, whatever, someone who lives in Texas. Uh, to be a baptized person is a fundamental aspect of our identity, and Calvin wants to show us some why and how that's important. So let's look through this. Calvin begins in chapter or section one of this chapter entitled The Meaning of Baptism. He says, Baptism is the sign of the initiation by which we are received into the society of the church. It's interesting for Calvin, the church is never just a, a, a sort of individual relationship. It's always being received into a society, into a family, into a community. In order that engrafted in Christ we may be reckoned among God's children. What does Calvin mean there by engrafted in Christ? What is that language for? It's union language, right? Union, united with Christ, that's what he's saying. That united with Christ, we may be reckoned among God's children. The first, and that, and that really is, as we think about baptism, baptism is about union with Jesus. Um, that is the fundamental meaning. That's also taught, of course, in our Westminster Standards is something that we hold to as a church, that it is a sign of our being engrafted into Christ, sign and seal. The first thing that the Lord sets out for us, Calvin says, is that baptism should be a token and proof of our cleansing. And this is really the second aspect of baptism that is really important to hold on to. Baptism is a picture, a sign and a seal of our union with Christ. It is also a sign and a seal, perhaps um, secondarily after that, of our forgiveness of our sins. That's part of why water, of course, is used in the sacrament. Um, to be a sign and a seal, a symbol of the cleansing of blood that affected by the blood, or the cleansing that is affected by the blood of Jesus, of our sins. Um, it is like a sealed document, Calvin says. A sealed document. That's a wonderful metaphor and, and helpful for us to think about. Baptism is like the seal that goes in the document um, that confirms uh, the reality that all our sins are so abolished, remitted, and effaced that they can never again come to his sight, right? Think about um, maybe if you have a, a fancy diploma at home, right? Um, the way that you know that this diploma is real is because it has the seal um, of the institution that gave it. It's not a fake. It's a, it's a real um, diploma that entitles you to certain things. And the same way baptism is a seal that seals the document and shows us that this is true, that our sins are so abolished, remitted, and effaced that they can never again come to God's sight, be recalled or charged against us. For he wills that all who believe be baptized for the remission of sins. 
And that, of course, is a phrase that comes from Acts 2, um, Peter's speech and sermon, really, on Pentecost, and it's language that has been brought into the Nicene Creed, right? We believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Right? Baptism and forgiveness of sins are inextricably linked. Accordingly, Calvin says, they who regard baptism as nothing but a token and a mark by which we confess our religion before men. Anybody ever heard of that kind of language, right? This is what baptism is primarily. It's about you uh, making profession of faith before other men so that they know that you are identifying yourself with the one true God. Right? This is the language that we often hear today. It's language that Calvin heard in his day. And here he is very much arguing against um, the Anabaptist movement, the sort of radical reformers that were, that were not only um, uh, wanting to bring reform to the church, but were really rethinking some fundamental categories about um, especially the sacraments and other aspects of church life. And they were beginning to say that baptism was primarily about uh, a token, a mark, a public identifying of yourself with Christ, and that is why you must wait until you are of age and able to profess your faith in order to be baptized. And Calvin says, then these people who regard baptism this way as just something that soldiers bear, um, the insignia of their commander is a mark of their profession. It's like a badge of your faith in Jesus. They have not weighed what was the chief point of baptism. He doesn't exclude this. Yes, this is part of what baptism is. It is a public identification with the person and work of Christ, that you are on his side, so to speak. But it's not the chief point. The chief point is to receive baptism with this promise, Calvin says. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Those are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ at the end of Mark. Um, that baptism is about the sign and seal of our salvation. And that is, that baptism is not about what we are doing for God, so to speak. It is what God is doing for us, has done for us, um, through the person of Christ and the work his Holy Spirit, that we are, it's not so much that we're on his team, but that he is on our team, right? That he is with us, not that we are with him. Um, and I think that is a really helpful sort of just way to think about the differences as we think about the way that we would distinguish our view of baptism from other traditions of the church. Calvin goes on to say, he says, it is in this sense we are to understand what Paul has written, that the church has been sanctified in Christ or by Christ, the bridegroom, and cleansed with the washing of water and the word of life in Ephesians 5. Paul, or Calvin here, argues that Paul, as I think he is, is talking about baptism, among other things, in Ephesians 5, when he talks about the relationship between Christ and the church and liken it into um, a marriage between a man and a woman. In another passage, um, he saved us, um, God saved us, that is, in virtue of his own mercy, through the washing of regeneration and of renewal in the Holy Spirit, Titus 3.5. Um, here Calvin argues that, um, that Paul, in writing to Titus, is describing baptism and connecting it to the work of regeneration and renewal in the Spirit, that this is what baptism um, is about. And as Peter puts it, most bluntly, in 1 Peter 3, baptism saves us, or which baptism which now saves you, as he puts it um, in, the, in the literal um, original text. Baptism saves us. Calvin is just again trying to show this is the point. The point of baptism is that you know um, that the, the sealing work of Christ has been given to you. The washing, um, the, the cleansing, the renewal um, is applied um, to you. And it is a gift that you receive 
by faith. And we're going to see that again and again in Calvin. That baptism is something that God puts on you that you are then um, expected to respond to in a particular kind of way by expressing faith and growing in faith in the Lord Jesus. For Paul did not mean to signify that our cleansing and salvation are accomplished by water, right? He's not just talking about water in those passages. Or that water itself contains the power to cleanse, regenerate, or renew. Nor that here is the cause of salvation, but only that in this sacrament we are, re are received the knowledge and certainty of such gifts. For Calvin, this is the fundamental purpose of baptism. It is to give us knowledge and certainty that God's promises are true for us as we receive them by faith. This the words themselves explain clearly enough, for Paul joins together the word of life and the baptism of water. It is as if he had said, here Paul or Calvin is trying to summarize all that Paul is trying to say about baptism. Through the gospel, a message of our cleansing and sanctification is brought to us. Through such baptism, the message is sealed, is sealed to us. The gospel is proclaimed, and in baptism, the message is sealed. Chapter Section 3. I'm going to stop in just a minute. We'll take some questions, but I'll work through some of this stuff first. Um, Calvin says, but we are not to think that baptism was conferred upon us only for the past time. I think this is really um, helpful. Um, and of course, Calvin here is entering into one of the debates in the church, which is that you should delay, or in the early church, there was, there was this idea that you should delay baptism as long as possible um, because um, uh, it was about the forgiveness and remission of sins. And so what about those sins you commit after your baptism? What about them? Are they really remitted and, and forgiven? And Calvin here is sort of operating within that context and saying, we are not to think that baptism was conferred upon us only for past time. So it's not only about the sins that we may have committed before baptism. So that for newly committed to sins into which we fall after baptism, we must seek new remedies of expiation in some other sacraments. Here he's talking, of course, about sacraments of penance and confession within the context of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, <clears throat> as if the force of the former one were spent, as if your baptism were somehow now worn out um, because you've sinned since you've baptized, been baptized. But we must realize that at whatever time we are baptized, we are for once and all washed and purged for our whole life. I think that's a really helpful um, statement, that when we're baptized, we are once and for all. The, the forgiveness of sins, the cleansing, renewal of the Holy Spirit, those things are sealed to us for our whole life. Therefore, as often as we fall away, we ought to recall the memory of our baptism and fortify our mind with it, that we may always be sure and confident of the forgiveness of sins. Does God forgive all sins for all people? He does not, right? The day of judgment, there are some sins that will not be forgiven. They will be dealt with. Does God forgive your sins when you confess them to him? How do you know? Heaven would say, you know, because you were baptized. Because God made a promise to you that when you confess your sin, he will forgive it. There's no ifs, ands, and buts. There's no disclaimers. There's no exceptions. If you are baptized and you respond in faith and confess your sins to God, they are forgiven. And Calvin says that in case you doubt that, the reality of that, 
you should recall the memory of your baptism. You should remember, I am a baptized man. I am a baptized woman. That means something about what God intends towards me, about his um, dealings with me. We should fortify our minds. We should build a fortress in our minds about, uh, around this reality that we are baptized, that we may always be sure and confident of the forgiveness of sins. This is the reason we recall our baptisms, that we may be sure and confident that God, in fact, does forgive our sins. For though baptism administered only once seems to have passed, it was still not destroyed by subsequent, subsequent sins. For Christ's purity has been offered to us in it, in baptism, and his purity ever flourishes. It is defiled by no spots, but buries and cleanses away all our defilements. The sinner receives forgiveness by the ministry of the church that is not without the preaching of the gospel. But what is the nature of this preaching? That we've been cleansed of our sins by Christ's blood. Yet what is the sign and testimony of that washing but baptism? Baptism is the, the sign and seal that we've got into that message, that, we, or that message is true for us, that our sins are, are cleansed by the blood of Christ. We see, therefore, Calvin says, that the absolution has reference to baptism. Therefore, there is no doubt that all pious folk throughout life, whenever they are troubled by a consciousness of their faults, may venture to remind themselves their baptism, that from it they may be confirmed in assurance of that soul and perpetual cleansing which we have in Christ's blood. I just want to stop there for a second because I think this is one of the most important points that Calvin makes, especially in our current context. Um, let's just think about that for a moment. When we, perhaps, modern folk that we are, pious modern folk, are ventured um, to be troubled by a consciousness of our faults, um, what are the things that we often turn to when we maybe doubt um, that, our, our, uh, that we are falling away, that we are sinning, that we are doing things that, that no Christian would ever do? What are the kinds of things that we remind ourselves of that we tend towards? Is it baptism? Is it something else? Prayer? Yeah. Bible? Yep. How much good I've done? Yep. Uh, yeah, I do know what you mean. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. That's what you turn to, the shed blood of Christ. Absolutely. And Calvin would say, how do you know that the shed blood of Christ is given for you? That's the question, though. It's not so much, the, yes, the, we all agree, the shed blood of Christ is what covers our sin. But how do we, because we know, we know that there are some sins that God will not forgive on the last day. There are some sins that the shed blood of Christ will not cover. Um, that is the whole idea of judgment. So how do we know that the shed blood of Christ is for us? Um, Calvin would say, instead of going to some subjective thing, some internal feeling, some you know, record that we have of, of faithfulness in our life, perhaps we can turn to. Um, he says, instead of going to those things, instead of going to emotional experience and, and some sort of pious feeling about your salvation, you should go to the objective reality that you are baptized, that you are baptized. Fortify that, your mind with that. Call that to your mind in order to know that your sins are forgiven. Yes, sir. Did you have a hand, John? Oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> yes, Brian. 
Yes, sir. Sure. Sure. It's a great question. So Brian's question was, if a person comes to a Presbyterian church and is saved, um, what about baptism for them? So the answer is basically, it depends on whether or not they've received Christian baptism previously. If they've received baptism um, uh, with water, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, in, a, in, a, in a way that is intended to be Christian baptism, then they are baptized. And we would say that they're their present confession, profession of faith, their present repentance is the Lord being faithful to that baptism, being faithful to that promise. And so there's no, there's no further baptism. They are baptized. That's, and that's what I'm answering. If they were baptized as a child in, in some whatever church it was, Episcopal church or Methodist church or whatever, um, then as a, if they were baptized as a six-day-old infant, in that context, and they lived a life of um, nefarious um, backsliding and rebellion for you know 37 years, and then um, decided you know the Lord worked in their heart and they repented of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus. We would say, look, the Lord is now being faithful to your baptism. He waited a long time, but He's being faithful now, and so you're baptized. Welcome. You know, hear the membership vows. Um, welcome to the table, since now you're professing faith in Christ. So there'd be no there'd be no further application of the sacrament. Good question. So if they've never been baptized at all, I'm sorry, if they've never been baptized at all and they're being saved, um, then we would baptize them. Yeah, we would we would hear the profession of faith before, like in our church, the session would meet with them and the elders would hear the profession of faith, and upon that profession they would be baptized. Sprinkle. Yep. Yep. Same, I'm sorry, I misunderstood the question. So, yes, they would, they would be sprinkled, the pour, or I would describe what we do rather more as poured, water's poured on them, yeah, with the hand, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, but it would be a lot like a baby's baptism in many ways, except they would be taking vows there instead of their parents. Yeah, an adult baby, that's right. Good, let, let, let's keep moving through some of this material. Um, baptism is a token and of mortification and renewal in Christ. And Calvin says, baptism also brings us another benefit, um, even more than, than bringing to mind this confidence about our forgiveness of our sins, for it shows us our mortification in Christ and our new life in him, that we've died in Jesus and been raised with Jesus. Indeed, as the apostle says, we have been baptized into his death, that is Christ's death, buried with him into death, that we may walk in newness of life. Romans 6. By these words, he not only exhorts us to follow Christ, as if he had said that we are it is as if he had said that we are admonished through baptism to die to our desires by an example of Christ's death, and to be roused to righteousness by the example of his resurrection. This is a link that Paul makes in Romans 6, that baptism actually has an ethical quality in your life. Um, should you go on sinning and doing ever what, whatever you want now that you've been brought into the family of God? Um, um, Paul says, by no means. You've been baptized with Christ into his death. You've been raised with Christ in his new life of resurrection. Um, your life is conformed to Jesus. And this, you know this to be true because you've been baptized. 
Um, Baptism is also a token of our union with Christ, and Paul would say. Lastly, our faith receives from baptism the advantage of its sure testimony to us, that we are not only engrafted into the death and life of Christ, but so united to Christ himself that we become sharers in all his blessings. For he dedicated and sanctified baptism in his own body in order that he might have it in common with us as the firmest bond of the union and fellowship with which he is designed to form with us. I think this is an interesting point to think about. If you think about the life of Jesus, there are many things that Jesus does that are unique to him that we're not necessarily called to do in the same way. We're not going to have amazing sort of miraculous experiences, healing people and walking on water. Um, We're not going to die for the sins of the world. Um, we won't be resurrected at least for a very long time until the last day. Um, there, there are some things about Jesus' life that are particularly unique to him. Um, but what do we share with Jesus? We share baptism with Jesus, right? He was baptized, and so we are baptized. Um, and that way, our life is, is there's this common and firm bond of our union and fellowship with him that we know um, that our life is bound up with his. And Yes, ma'am. Do you have a question, Mona? Why was Jesus not baptized as an infant? That is a great question. Um, next week, we will talk more about infant baptism and Calvin, what Calvin has to say about infant baptism. So maybe best to bracket that question there. Um, I would say for, for the way I would answer that just off the cuff is that, that for Jesus, his baptism had a particular meaning uh, in terms of his being set apart now for the ministry to which his father was calling him to and that he received the gift of the Holy Spirit in a particular and unique way. It also had something to do with the way in which John's baptism functioned as a baptism of repentance, um, uh, which was in some ways uh, unique to what John was doing there. And we wouldn't say that John's baptism was the same exactly as Christian baptism. Um, it was a different, different kind of thing. Um, and so Jesus becomes in some ways the bridge between that old and new covenant. Um, that, so that's how I would just answered off the cuff but yeah we'll, we'll talk next week and look and see what Calvin has to say about infant baptism in particular and why baptism should be applied to babies so maybe we'll answer that more better next time next week um, hence Paul proves Calvin says that we are children of God from the fact that we put on Christ in baptism Galatians 3 um, Thus we see that the fulfillment of baptism is in Christ, whom also for this reason we call the proper object of our baptism. For we are cleansed by his blood because of our merciful Father wishing to receive us into grace in accordance with his incomparable kindness and has set this mediator among us to gain favor for us in his sight. Prototype of baptism in the Old Covenant. I think this is helpful um, to think about and be and, and just conscious of. Conscious of. Um, sometimes, and Calvin will go into length about this next week as we look at his, what he says about infant baptism, um, that one of the precursors to infant baptism in the Old Testament is circumcision, we would say. Um, it, it is a, a sign that, and a seal that is like and unlike baptism in some, some specific ways. But it's important to say that circumcision is not the only backdrop for baptism in the, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. Um, sometimes we narrow our focus so much on circumcision we miss other things that are happening. And Calvin rightly points out some of those other things. He says, These things which we have said, both of mortification and washing, were foreshadowed in the people of Israel, 
who were on this account said by the Apostle Paul to have been baptized in the cloud and in the sea. 1 Corinthians 10. Paul draws a direct line between baptism and the crossing of the Red Sea and the cloud um, that led um, the Israelites after um, their deliverance from Egypt through the wilderness. Mortification was symbolized when the Lord, rescuing his people from the domination and the cruel bondage of Pharaoh, made a way for them through the Red Sea and were drowned both Pharaoh himself and the Egyptian army, who were in hot pursuit and almost at their backs. Right? Um, Pharaoh and his armies were a kind of power, like sin. Um, Paul in Romans, of course, talks how we're enslaved to sin, and certainly he's thinking about the exodus there and the slavery that God delivered his people from um, in the work that he did at that time. And so there's this, this, this parallel being drawn between our, we, we know that our sins in baptism are being um, conquered and we're being delivered from their power um, because in the same way, the old covenant, um, the Israelites were delivered out of slavery, out of the bondage of Egypt, his cruel slavery, um, through the crossing of the Red Sea, that there's a connection between those events. For in the same way also he promised us is in baptism and shows us by a sign that by his power we've been led out and delivered from bondage in Egypt, that is, from the bondage of sin, that our Pharaoh, that is the devil, has been drowned, although he does not cease to harry, and harry us and weary us. As the Egyptian, however, was not cast into the depth of the sea, but left lying on the shore, still so maybe there were some Egyptians left on the far side when they had crossed over. He could still terrify the Israelites by his frightful appearance, yet he could not harm them. So too this enemy of ours threatens, brandishes his weapons as felt, but cannot conquer. His defeat is made certain. We know it because of our baptism. In the cloud, so now drawing that connection, Numbers 9, Exodus 13, there was a symbol of cleansing. Right? The Lord led them at night by a pillar of fire, and during the day by a pillar of cloud. For the Lord covered them. What is cloud? Cloud is condensed water, right? That's what it is. Um, for as the Lord covered them with the cloud and gave them coolness, they would not weaken and pine away in the merciless heat of the sun. So do we recognize that in baptism we are covered and protected by the blood of Christ, that God's severity, which is truly an unbearable flame, should not assail us. Even though the mystery was then obscure and known to few, still because there is no other way to obtain salvation, that in these two graces, God did not will to take away the tokens of both from the ancient fathers whom he had adopted as his heirs. So we share something in common with the old covenant. Um, they um, were, in a way, baptized in a different manner, um, but Paul makes that connection and shows that there is a fundamental connection between those things. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see. I'm going to move on a little bit here. I think we can cover this. Okay, so baptism, original sin, and new righteousness. As we are uh, made alive, vitiated, and corrupted in all parts of our nature, we are held rightly condemned on account of such corruption alone and convicted before God to whom nothing is acceptable, righteousness, innocence, and purity. Even infants bear their condemnation. This is something Calvin's talked about earlier in the Institutes, that even infants are under the condemnation of original sin with them from their mother's womb, even before they commit actual sins. For though they have not yet brought forth the fruits of their own iniquity, they have the seed enclosed within themselves. Indeed, their whole nature is a seed of sin. Thus it cannot be but hateful and abominable to God. Through baptism, believers are assured that this condemnation has been removed 
and withdrawn from them, since, as we said, the Lord promises us both by the sign that full and complete remission has been made, both of the guilt that should have been imputed to us and of the punishment that we ought to have undergone because of the guilt. This is one of the reasons we baptize babies, um, because they are sinners, because they need the cleansing work of the blood of Jesus Christ. The sign and the thing. Calvin says, now that we have explained our Lord's purpose in ordaining baptism, it will be easy for us to judge how we should use and receive it. For inasmuch as it is given for the arousing, nourishing, and confirming of our faith, it is to be received as if from the hand of the author himself. I love this section. I think it's really beautiful. Um, Calvin would say the same thing about the Lord's Supper, that when we receive these sacraments, even though um, Christ is not physically present with us, and, and those actions, the minister that is performing the sacraments is standing in the place of Christ, and we receive um, the sacrament of baptism as if Christ himself was administering it. We receive the Lord's Supper as if it were given to us by Jesus himself. We ought to deem it and be certain and proved that it is he, that is Christ, the author of the sacrament, who speaks to us through the sign. It is he who purifies and washes away our sin and wipes out the remembrance of them. That it is he who makes us sharers in his death, who deprives Satan of his rule, who weakens the power of our lust. Indeed, that it is he who comes into a unity with us, so that having put on Christ, we may be acknowledged God's children. We receive the sacrament from the hand, as it were, from the hand of the author himself. These things, I say, he performs for our soul within as truly and surely as we see our bodily outwardly cleansed, submerged, and surrounded with water. For this analogy or similitude is the surest rule of the sacraments, that we should see spiritual things in physical as if set before our eyes. And that's why the sacraments are given to us. They are um, physical signs of spiritual realities. And spiritual doesn't mean that they're not real. Spiritual means that they are realities affected by the power and work of the Holy Spirit. They are dependent upon his presence and power. The Lord was pleased to represent them by such figures, not because such graces are bound and enclosed in the sacrament so as to be confirmed upon us by its power. The sacraments have no power in and of themselves, in the water or the bread or the wine or the minister or the words that he uses or any of those things, but only because the Lord by these tokens attests his will toward us, namely that he is pleased to lavish all these things upon us. And he does not feed our eyes with a mere appearance only, but leads us to the present reality and effectively performs what it symbolizes. Here's a really important thing to keep in mind when you think about baptism. And this, this, this is relevant for maybe some of the questions or concerns that folks may have at times about infant baptism. From this sacrament, Calvin says, as from all others, which he only reckons the Lord's Supper to be another sacrament. So from either the baptism or the Lord's Supper, we obtain only as much as we receive in faith. So this is, this is true for baptism. This is true for the Lord's Supper. The promises that are given, the things that are sealed, everything that is represented and symbolized and signed and sealed in the sacrament itself must be received by faith. It must be received by faith. 
we obtain only as much from the sacrament as we receive in faith. If we lack faith, this will be evidence of our ungratefulness, which renders us chargeable before God, because we have not believed the promise given there. Friends, make no doubt, if, 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 if a person is baptized and does not um, put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and lives a life of rebellion against him and never repents of their sin, on the last day, I tell you, their judgment will be worse and more severe than if they had not been baptized. As, as Christians who believe in the, the inerrancy of the scriptures, we believe that there are gradations of judgment and reward on the last day. And if you are baptized, you will be held to a higher standard, a higher degree of judgment than if you had not, because the promises of God were sealed for you in a way that they were not and for someone else who was not baptized. This is, this is a baptism is a serious thing. It is a solemn um, covenant. It is one that God um, will hold us to. Uh, it's important for us to think about that, that we obtain only as much from baptism we receive in faith. And that's, that's why in, this, in the liturgy that we have associated with the baptisms that we do here, um, when I present the child of the congregation, I say, this, this child is now, he has no idea, really, um, but this child is now um, committed to confessing Christ before men, to being his faithful follower and to his life's end. That this is something that now is an obligation. It is not an option. It is not as, you know, okay, we're just going to wait and see what the child wants to do in terms of his religious life. No, we are, this now, this is, the decision has been made. Either he will be a submissive servant of Jesus or he will be a rebel of Jesus. Those are the two options before him. And he is obligated uh, to choose one, to be a submissive servant of Christ until his life's end. Um, because baptism matters. Um, baptism does not depend on the merit of the one who administers it. This is a uh, an ancient uh, reality that's been held by the church um, since the Donatist controversy, the writings of Augustine. Um, it is to be received as if it were from the very hand of God, even though it has been given um, by the hand of a very flawed and sinful minister. And in some, time, in some cases, um, you know, maybe a minister baptizes us and later we realize that he was cheating on his wife and he actually was a you know, a dirty, rotten scoundrel, and, and maybe not even a believer. What about our baptism then? And of course, this is not even hypothetical, perhaps, for some of us, right? These are things that, that happen. We are baptized in all sorts of scenarios. Calvin would say, among men, if a letter is sent, provided the handwriting and the seal are sufficiently recognized, it makes no difference who or what sort the carrier is. In like manner, it ought to be enough for us to recognize the hand and seal of our Lord and his sacraments, whatever carrier may bring them. Um, so we would say your baptism is not dependent upon the spiritual uh, maturity or the whatever you want to say about the person who performed it. It is dependent upon the work of the Spirit. Baptism also is not invalidated by the delay of repentance. Now our opponents, and here he's thinking about the Anabaptist opponents, ask us what faith came to us during some years after our baptism. They do this to prove our baptism void, since it is not sanctified to us, except when the word of promise is accepted in faith. So if we receive in baptism through faith, what good is baptism in all those intervening years, if there are intervening years? 
To this question, we reply that we indeed, being blind and unbelieving for a long time, did not grasp the promise that had been given us in baptism. Yet that promise, since it was of God, ever remained fixed and firm and trustworthy. Even though many years, even decades may pass between the giving of the promise and the, and the reception of the promise, yet the promise is still good. It's still fixed. It's still firm. It's still trustworthy. Even if all men are liars and faithless, still God does not cease to be trustworthy. Even if all men are lost, still Christ remains salvation. We therefore confess that for that time, baptism benefited us not at all, inasmuch as the promise offered us in it, without which baptism is nothing, and it lay neglected. But now when by God's grace we begin to repent, we accuse our blindness and hardness of heart, that we were so long ungrateful toward his great goodness. But we believe that the promise itself did not vanish. The promise did not fade away. It was offered in the blood of Jesus, which does not perish. Rather, we consider that God, through baptism, promises us forgiveness of sins, and he will doubtless fulfill this promise for all believers. This promise was offered to us in baptism. Therefore, let us embrace it by faith. Indeed, on account of our unfaithfulness, it lay long buried from us. Now, let us receive it through faith. This, for Calvin, is, is the fundamental application of baptism. He would say, um, if you are baptized, then receive all that has been given to you in that baptism. Do not doubt that it is true for you. Respond to it by faith. By faith. It is the personal application of those promises to God. And, and, and it's something that you respond to every day. You respond in faith to the reality um, that you were marked apart. You were set apart through the sacrament, the means of grace the Lord gives us in baptism. All right, I'll take a minute or two for a question or two. Any questions about baptism? And like I said, we'll look next week more in depth at what Calvin says about infant baptism and why that is something we should do for our children. Yes, Eric and Brian looks like again. Yes, sir. Sure. Right. But prove it was authentic. Yeah, that's great. So Eric is pointing out that in the context that the seal was something placed on a scroll that perhaps was then mailed or sent to someone else that proved that the, um, that the document was valid and had a future application that way. Yes, Brian and then James. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, so Calvin would say, that's a good question. Yeah, so how, how would a, how would an adult remember their baptism if they were baptized when they were a week old or whatever? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, what Calvin really means there is not so much remember your baptism in the sense of remember the experience of it, remember what you thought about that day or what it felt like when the water was on your head, but more remember that you are baptized, that this is objectively true about you. Um, that, that's what he would say there. One more from James, and we'll wrap up. Yes, sir. 
Sure. Yeah. I think that is a powerful apologetic um, for infant baptism is the, the symbol that it gives us. All of us are like infants in baptism. Um, we all receive the gifts of God, not through anything we've done, not through our own will, um, but the will of God. All right, let's, let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of baptism. I'm thankful. Um, Father, um, for these things and pray that you'd help us to reflect and recall and even ponder this week um, the meaning, the significance of baptism in our lives. We pray it in Christ's name.